Welcome to the Art Grind Podcast. This is a podcast run by artists for artists, where we talk about what it means to be one. I'm Tun Miai, the producer, with our host Dina Brodsky and Marshall Jones. This is being recorded between our many jobs and side hustles. We bring you in-depth investigations into the lives of artists we admire and the stories behind the creative journey. So stay on the grind while we fill your mind. I'm a family of like people that do art and have painted and stuff, and so like it's there no matter what. But like I think I've sort of got a little burned out on 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 a lot of aspects of painting, like.、Um, I've been teaching for since like I started teaching pretty heavily like in 2002, so it's been some time now. You know, I'm going on almost 20 years of teaching, pretty regularly. And I had a full-time teaching job at Art Center in Pasadena for a handful of years, so I was like doing the real like grind. It wasn't a lot of hours; it was like a pretty chill contract, but it was still like a regular weekly schedule with semesters, and, and I did that a lot. And on top of doing the full-time、uh, job, I would teach one workshop a month on average. So I'd have to travel somewhere, and then two of the weekends I'd fly to see my son, like I was talking about every other week. So I was basically three weeks out of the month flying somewhere or, or doing something while flying back to LA to have my full-time job during the week, and then fitting in any sort of commissions and freelance stuff in between whenever I could find the time and find time to like do this whole knife thing. Because that's sort of where my right now, like it's. I I think painting became my such a job that it was like purely only for money. I only painted for money, never for fun, because I was doing so much of it.、Um, and there's no time left, you know. At that point, I don't have any energy left to paint because it's like I, I do, you know, like if you do four demos in one day for like your art classes, like I'm tired. I'm not like the rest of the week. I might not even want to paint.、Um, okay. So then I started getting. I got into this knife making thing and blacksmithing, and it just became like it felt really cool to be like a beginner at something and learning a new craft. And like, I did not want to make money with it. I, I did not want that to be because instantly people are like, "Oh, I'll buy, I'll buy a palette knife from you. I pay you seventy five dollars." I'm like, that thing took me a week. I'm not going to sell it for seventy five bucks.、Um, so it was purely like this thing for my soul to like just kind of feed my. Creative side again, you know that wasn't a job, and I needed a hobby, so like I got really deep into that. And, but you know, you got to make money. So I'd love to make knives every day, but I have to make money. So you know, I was just thinking about this recently. Like, I don't think I have a hobby. Like, I used to have time for interests outside of painting,、mm -hmm. and、um, now it's like painting and stuff that needs money that is somewhat related to painting. And yeah. Kids, that's it. Like, like I feel like I don't read anymore, which I used to do. Like I used to read a huge amount,、yeah. um, and I don't know. I used to bike a lot, and now, like you know, I used to do like long distance biking. Like, right, yeah. But yeah, what's so knife making is is a hobby.、Uh, so I have, yeah. I mean, so I play music too. I've been in a band for many years. We kind of don't play as much now, but I still play guitar every day. So that's one of my other things that I do, and we and we used to play all over LA. It was like part of our regular thing. We had weekly rehearsals, and we'd write songs and stuff. So that's one of my things. I played hockey for like many many years, and I was still up until like two years ago. I was playing three to four times a week, and that'd be like my nighttime, like ten o'clock, eleven o'clock, or nine. We'd have games sometimes at night. I played in the league, so I got a lot of hobbies. And then I started engraving during the pandemic. So like I've gotten into that whole art form, which is like. 
I have a whole jeweler's desk now and like a whole setup with a microscope and I'm carving little tiny little pieces of metal so I can actually engrave my knives now, which is sort of the next step to taking them huh. further. So like I've got, I have so many hobbies. I've probably got some I can't even, I like don't remember to list. I started skateboarding again with my son because he wanted to skateboard, which has been, I fractured my wrist. So that was sort of put me back on everything for like a few months, but it's, oh it's back. Yeah, it's just like, oh my, but I was really getting into it. I'm like, oh man, this is fun skateboarding again. It'd been 20 or 30 years. I'm like, <laughs> wait, wait. So, so before, before we get there, before we get to the point where you're a renaissance man of, I don't know, many interests who, you know, fractured his wrist <laughs> skateboarding with his son, uh, let's talk about the beginnings of Sean, Sean Cheatham. The, um, okay. Were you a painter to begin with, or how, how did you grow up? I grew up in San Francisco. Um, my mom's Chinese. My dad was from Northern California. My mom is from Hawaii, sort of. But I say she's Chinese because, like, her her side of the family was like art, all artists, many artists. Um, she, her mom did a bunch of cool, like, she was more into sewing and stuff. But she could draw. When I was a kid, my grandmother would draw like these little like muscle men, like this, you know, like so it's like early anatomy stuff. Or like she drew drew these little faces when we'd go out to restaurants and they have crayons, and it'd be like an Asian woman's face, really stylish, you know, like illustrative. So that was around a lot. Um, my mom had cousins who'd moved over from China and that were good artists, and I would just sit and draw with them when I was a tiny little kid. I just drew from forever since since I was a child. And my dad was drawing a lot when I was a kid too. He was a, he was a jeweler in San Francisco. So he kind of like, he was into design and art, but like when I was really young, he was actually still drawing like stuff, you know, with us. Like it was fun. Like he would draw Disney characters for fun or whatever. Um, but he was just, I knew him as a jeweler. He was the guy, he got up at four or whatever every day and left at five to go to work like my whole life. And he would just make jewelry, like high end jewelry in San Francisco. And I didn't have that much interest in it, which is crazy because it, now like I have so much interest um but I just sort of like he he sort of remembers like not wanting any of us to get into the business because it was hard but I remember him hoping one of us would take over the business and none of like I had two brothers and we didn't really seem to care that much like he brought us down there here you know every once in a while to like like we each made our own ring and stuff just to kind of see if we'd be into it but no one really was into it and eventually like he retired and sold everything and now it's like i have all these conversations with him about all this stuff because now i'm getting into the engraving and like all the dust and the fine little metal work so it's cool you know it comes full circle which is great you know I'm, i i i look back and sort of regret it but at the same time it wasn't going to happen you know it's like it's nice that now i'm into it and can maybe use some of his resources so i I guess there's a lot more to the story. So I, I grew up kind of doing the whole Catholic school thing. My parents, like my father was grow, grown up kind of Roman Catholic with an Italian mother type of thing. And he went to Catholic school. So from age five, I was in Catholic school doing that whole thing in our neighborhood. Um, San Francisco had a lot of like Irish Catholics in our neighborhood. And that was sort of what we were, where we went to school. My mom still works at the same school. And then I even went through high school. So I was just doing art, you know, it was just part of life. It wasn't like, it was never a dream, a career. Like we had family who dabbled in it and did it professionally. Like my, my grandfather in Hawaii, who was in Hawaii when I was a kid and we'd visit all the time, was maybe the most sort of successful as, a, as an artist at that, when I was younger. And he would do like sculpt, he did like really beautiful sculptures of, of uh, all kinds of people, like the governor of Hawaii and other other people that were around he like even painted an oil painting portrait of the governor of hawaii so he was doing like real stuff and 
and it looked cool, you know, it was like stuff that I look back now and think it still looks like very academic kind of Chinese painting. I actually have his little taint box from when he went to like the Shanghai Academy or whatever. It's like a really cool old paint box still covered in paint and stuff. Um, so we grew up with that too. Like he was just, it was just, you know, people did art. We were all into it. My little, I have my younger brother, he's, he still does art. He works for the Simpsons drawing backgrounds. My older brother is an engineer, but he's not unartistic. He's been drawing with his daughter a lot and stuff, but he's, um, he's actually like a mechanical engineer. That's really smart and works for Lockheed and stuff like that. It got really dark in here today all of a sudden, but it's probably better. <laughs> yeah, um, a little easier to see. Yeah, good. So then, so I just did that whole thing, you know, high school, I did Catholic high school, like a prep, prep school, but I was just the guy with long hair, smoking weed and playing ice hockey outside of school and hanging out at the public school. Um, but I was still just because that's what my parents wanted us to do. That was a neighborhood thing. Like all our friends growing up just did Catholic school. And I played a little bit of football when I went to school, but I wasn't really into like that whole thing anyway. I was just like not that guy, but I was forced so, to go there. And were I actually, you religious in, in no, school? No, no. I was thinking, I was like, you know, you got to go. I hated going to confession and doing all that shit they forced you to do. I had to be an altar boy for many years, you know, it's just like <laughs> shit we did and I, I hated it, you know, I didn't. No, I've always wanted to know uh, what, what, what does an altar boy do? You know, do? Uh? You serve, you serve at the mass. Like you go there and you, you're like the sidekick to the priest, you know, and you kind of sometimes bring them little things or we would do the incense sometimes, you know, like shaking and that shit stinks. And you're just like, God, <laughs> like I have like, when I smell certain incenses, it like takes me back. I'm just like, Oh God. Or when we were going to start going to Rome to teach, I'm like, Oh my God, the churches, it's the same smell. <laughs> goes back I, I so actually, far. So I, I love that smell. I love that smell because it reminds me, I, I grew up in Russia, which didn't have, you know, religion as the Soviet mm, okay. Union. Yeah, yeah. The first time I smelled it, we, like it was on the way from, um, you know, from Russia, like when we were immigrating and we ended mm. up getting stuck in Italy while my parents oh, wow, okay. documents you know on. And so, yeah, so we, we, we go, you know, it was my first time in a church and probably my first time in a museum, but the church is like, I know that exact smell. Yeah, and yeah. to me, it reminds me of Italy and seeing the West for the first time and seeing all of the stuff that was just so much, I don't know, so much more intense and beautiful to look at than Soviet era Belarus, which yeah, you know, yeah, I bet. <laughs> so, uh, so for me, it's a good memory. But for you, yeah, that's cool. I think now it's a good memory, you know. But in the beginning, yeah, because I remember we used to have to hold it. It's like smoking in your face. It's like stinks, and you're like trying to like do that thing. I don't even remember if we were doing. This. I feel like I used to do the thing because you click it on the chain. I kind of just recall that. But just this, it's in your face, and and I think we used it at funerals too. So it was just like. I hated having to go serve a funeral. I'm just like, I was hoping they'd tip me. I'm like, at least the family might give me some money. But like, I hated sitting there with everybody crying and like, you know, like as a child, I'm like, what is this? He's sitting up there and like, you're facing the everybody crying. There's a body over here. I'm just like, I hate this shit. You know, I'm just like, get me out of here. But you get to get out of class. Oh, you could get out of class. Okay. Right. So it's it's like, like if you like get it. out of class to do a funeral, hopefully it's a closed casket funeral. You know, you're just like, please be closed like, casket. Don't take up a Saturday to do that, man. No, <laughs> no. But we did have to do Saturday masses and crap. And I remember like, you know, so one you were they had, in it. That's a lot they had of a, they had a they had a They had a casket in the changing area once and it was open with this old man with makeup and like, I'm just like, oh, fuck, like so uncomfortable. And then we go out wow. to do mass or whatever. And then I know, like, I'm sitting there during mass, like, I got to walk back by this fucking body when I get back in. And we're going to be facing him when we walk back in. 
I'm just oh like, my oh my God, I don't want to go back and change now. You know, like, and how uh, old were you? You're like, like, like nine, kid? eight, nine, nine ten, yeah. whatever. I started like it, I think probably eight is when they get going. And then, you know, and wow. we honestly, our school had like the terrible, terrible, like head of the school who got majorly in trouble for all kinds of like child abuse and money stuff. And this is the guy that I grew up like as our Monsignor or head dude. Mm. He's a disgusting human being, like just all over San Francisco, 70s, 80s and stuff, like just a gnarly person. Wow. Okay, so, wow. so, so I take That's it- also maybe why I forget church and Catholic. <laughs> I, I, think that I take a Catholic school didn't leave much of an imprint on your life or, or maybe it did, yeah. just not the way they thought it would. <laughs> What's funny is like today, the, the alumni department of my high school wanted me to be involved in a Zoom saying how high schools like helped my- life and stuff and i'm like oh my god you guys don't want to talk to me about it <laughs> you do. it definitely influenced me but maybe in the opposite way that they were hoping to hear about so do you, do you currently have any uh i know catholic with that comes a lot of like guilt and fear of hell and stuff do you have right. those thoughts? no i mean not, like definitely i did i grew up with that that guilt and that fear and that kind of somebody's watching you shit but no now i'm just like i have those like i look at the moon and think like jesus christ we're nothing like it doesn't i, mean, I say jesus christ but um <laughs> i like we don't like i just think we're so tiny we don't matter none of this matters that's how i feel now i'm like it's just all whatever like it can matter whatever you want it to be but like in like now i have the a different like i'm just part of this animal world you know in a way like and that's fine I, it, it doesn't mean I don't have plenty of shit like comes into my brain all day, like guilts and fears and stuff. But I many times can remind myself now that like, whatever, none of it matters. And like, that makes it a lot easier, you know, when things are stressful or whatever, like going through hard times. I'm like, it really doesn't like, doesn't mean anything. I mean, in the grand scheme of the universe, yes, of course, we're just a mode of dust, but like, we're also the center. Each one of us is the center of our own life. Absolutely, like, Yeah. Like, like I think it's, it's more to like help me feel okay with the problems. It's not really about like shitting on the good stuff for me I, as much as like helping me deal with like when things get really hard and intense or whatever. And I'm just like, you know what? It's really not like a big deal. Yeah. I think similar. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like from like the macro, like someone asks how I am, it provided they actually mean it. And you know, the, it's not just chit chat. And I'm like, well, in the macro scheme of things, like if you look at it from a bird's eye view, I'm, I'm great. Like the, um, I, like I'm great. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's alive. I don't know. The kids are growing up and doing what they're supposed to without any major problems. I get to paint some of the time, but then in like the micro cause them like the micro you know for, for, from close up i just feel like life is a total mess like 25 oh times a day like yeah. there's like yeah, yeah. 25 little crises that happen before i drop the kids off at daycare in the morning <laughs> yeah i mean i i definitely yesterday was the first and i didn't realize the first so it was a crisis day of getting everybody paid <laughs> like, <laughs> paying paying the ex-wife paying the rent you know it's just like oh my god it's like, like the worst day ever all of a sudden <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's the first and I'm late. So, yeah, for sure. I think it's just like those times where I have to like, it used to be like when I'm walking the dog and I'm stressed and I could just look up at the moon and be like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We're yeah, so I, I grew up a religious in it like you. And it's like, there's a structure and a framework to believe that things really matter. In some ways that kind of keeps you 
moving and productive. Right. But it is, it's like, it's on the other hand, it's very freeing to know that like, this is a, the universe is so incredibly vast and, and we can't be the only thing running right now. Right. Know? That too. Like I'm about to, it's when I would look at the moon in the sky and just think like at night, like there's no fucking way that this is just, like we're the only ones. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's just hard to, to imagine that. But. So, so by the way, let's get back to you. So you are an altar boy. Um, you know, you're an altar boy who's growing up in an artistic family. Did you go to university or kind of what happens next? Well, so also I think it helps. I, I say this a lot and some people, you know, whatever, don't. I, I'm a middle child too, which I found I think is very sort of like nowadays it's a very important part of like who I am. It's like this middle, like I'm, not this extreme and I'm not this extreme and I like the balance of both. And I, and, and so like I kind of play that role, I guess with, I don't know, I maybe had played that role as a child, but I think that played into a lot of my art too. It's just like being the guy in the corner, just going to do my art. Like, I don't know, between two brothers, the, the little brother was like the baby and like the, you know, like they always cared about the baby and the older brother was like the smart, guy that studied all the time. And so I was the guy that was getting into kind of the trouble first in some way. Um, and I think that sort of played a part in sort of my, my just me diving into the art a little more um, as a child to, to kind of like actually really get into it. But I also got into skateboarding, you know, which is a very kind of isolated, alone activity. And I started skating when I was five. Did you feel like, but like being kind of like, you know, between, between your brothers, like one of whom was getting attention for being the first and the other was getting attention for being the baby. Did you feel like it kind of allowed you not exactly to slip through the cracks? Like you were obviously, you know, loved, but kind of it, it gave you more freedom because the attention was, was kind of going, going to I your Maybe. Uh, I, I, I do know like, you know, getting in trouble for first things was me because my older brother wasn't doing it. And then he, and then definitely I got in trouble. So I couldn't slip through the cracks that way, but yeah, maybe, maybe in some other ways. Um, but then at some point me and my younger brother became very close, like best friends, you know, we, we sort of through, through hockey, I think, because he was, a, I was closer in age to my older brother, but my younger brother and I liked sports and skating and hockey and, whatever kind of sports. So we did a lot of sports stuff together and then we ended up having kind of the same friends. And so we played competitive hockey in high school together too, until I was too old to play. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's funny you say it slipped through the cracks because there is one Christmas my mom forgot to give me presents and <laughs> she hates when I bring that story up, but like that's slipping through the cracks, I guess, in a way, like that's the ultimate fall through the cracks. And I don't, I don't remember it, but like she's traumatized by it still, I guess, you know, maybe I am. I, don't know. I think it's funny to bring up because it's just a good, so it's just, you know, I think it's funny. I think it's fine. Like, you know, well, it's, you know, I've just started talking to you, but one of the questions that I wrote down applies to this perfectly. And it was because I look at your, your paintings and I wrote down a question like, does he feel like he belongs in any any sort of group because when people paint as well as you do, you can tell what school they came out of, who they painted with, and you're you paint so well, and it doesn't feel like that to me. Like it's it's I I, I know a lot about 
painting. And I'm like, I don't know where this guy came from. Do you know what I'm saying? I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I, and I really kind of in some way do totally feel, have felt that over the years. Like I don't fit in anything, but I don't, I'm also like not into being in a club. Like there's that, that California art club and they've been trying to get me in it. I'm like, I don't understand why I need to be in a club, your club. Like what, like you want me, he, the guy told me, he's like, we want you because it'll make us look a little edgier. I'm like, what do I get out of it? Like, I'm not, I'm not like a club. It's like that. It is, if it's a motorcycle club, it might be more appealing, but like, like, I don't know. So I guess we can go to my education then if you want, so you can kind of see where I came from because it is sort of maybe indicative of how I work, but it's also not. Um, so after high school, I did go, I went to community college. I just like was going to the local community college to kind of figure out, I think just to sort of please my parents and to go into continuing school. And then I was also um, partying too much maybe back then, you know, just kind of as you might do at that age. And I think hockey was, I was still playing pretty competitively like when I started college because I was of age to be the under 18 still. And then when we sort of like went off and did the, or won the championship and then we played in LA to, put, to do this big California hockey championships, we ended up like losing that like one game after being undefeated for so long and winning all the playoff games. And we had to play this extra game. It was like this thing where it was just like kind of a bummer. So I sort of like burned out on hockey at that stage. I was not, I was like, forget it. I'm not going to go to try and play in college. You know, I think I just was playing so intensely and it was such a big thing that we, I kind of just like stopped. Um, but my younger brother went off to Michigan state to play. And I, I did a little community college and realized I was dropping out of all the classes that weren't art classes I did get a few like requirements out of the way. And then, so I, uh, I decided to move to LA when I was 20 years old. I was like, I'm going to move to LA and try to go to art center. That was my plan. Everybody's telling me go to art center. I wanted to do illustration. I wanted to work like on star Wars or, you know, do that kind of stuff because they were starting to do more of that. And, and I knew people like my cousin went to art center or my mom's cousin. She's like my mom's age. So she's a little older, but she had gone to art center for product design. So I knew of art center and knew like that's sort of where I was going to go. And I wanted to be an illustrator. Um, I didn't really think or know about fine art or portrait painting as, as a thing. You know, it was, it was maybe storyboarding or illustration. You know, I think being on the West coast, getting into like figurative art, that's sort of the natural thing you do because that's what we have out here. Um, so then I moved to LA when I was 20 and I just kind of abandoned everything in San Francisco, which was sort of necessary because I was, like I said, I was partying, doing too much shit I shouldn't have been doing. And um, it was just time to go. So I left and my, my parents drove with me down here and kind of got, got into a little apartment in Pasadena and I applied to school and I got in eventually, um, got some scholarship and I, just, I got in the illustration department and that was my plan. Um, but then at that school, which was cool, and I think a lot of them maybe during that time was like foundation stuff was figure drawing, figure painting, you know, it's all that stuff you got to learn. So I fell in love with oil painting immediately. Um, and I already like had kind of a head start on like a decent portfolio and some skills because I grew up with it and I'd done it and I, and I sort of did, did a lot, built a portfolio in community college and, and stuff like that. So I was able to like, I keep up with everybody, you know, it was, it was, there was a lot of amazing artists we were around. It was awesome, you know, like to kind of be thrown into this place with like 
coming from community college where my teachers were like, yeah, you can just go outside and do whatever you want. You know, my art teachers just like, cause we're just going to be doing some boring stuff in here. Like, okay, cool. To, to, to a place where I'm like looking at these kids that could do these amazing charcoal drawings, you know, in like 20 minutes. Like that's the thing that's different. I think East coast versus like some of the West coast training too, is that in illustration, our long poses, we were taught like drawing long poses, 20 minutes. Like that's me. That's long pose. Um, Long pose painting, five hours, one class. We never did wet over dry. We never, because these classes are like these illustration classes just rip through once a week. You're not going to set up the whole class again for the next week. It's just not that way. Um, so I learned to paint very quickly and draw very quickly and, and, and that became the thing. But because I started taking oil painting, I was like, and some of my teachers were like retired illustrators. They were showing in galleries. I'm like, that's cool. You know, you get to paint whatever you want and show in a gallery. And I started going to their shows. I'm like, that became what I was interested in. And then at some point, I think illustration, Star Wars was doing stuff again when I was in school, like late 90s. I think they were doing some like um, those, uh, the prequels or whatever. And maybe some of the, they're re redoing some of the old ones. And so like, there was plenty of people working on it again. And I started thinking, well, maybe I want to do that. But um, by the time I graduated, I like, I thought I'll be, a, you know, someday my goal was to be a teacher and an oil painting person in a ga in galleries. And I thought, well, that's something I'll do when I'm older. Um, but the Los Angeles Academy of Figurative Art was just happened to be opening right when I was graduating and they came through recruiting people that were graduating that were painters that they thought were worthy of teaching and a few of the teachers that I had had or that were there um, working. So they just started this core of this new Los Angeles Academy and I started teaching the same month I graduated. And through that, I met somebody who was working for this gallery that everybody was showing at out here called Morseburg Gallery. Like it's where like Jeremy Lipking and some of those guys had their first solo shows out here. And so that guy picked me up too. But like, you know, I was like, I wanted to be in that crowd, but like I was the guy that was painting you know, had tattoos and was painting tattooed people because they were my friends, you know, and I just was like, I'm going to paint my life and, you know, do it. But I was in that gallery and he sold some stuff for a lot of money for me, which is like my school projects. I'm like, this is cool. You know, I love this. Um, I had actually done some religious paintings in school, like for my finals to kind of get it out of my system <laughs> because we were doing um, studying art history in class. And like, I realized everybody from like the beginning all the way to like, even through Warhol had done their version of crucifixions and whatever. So I was like, just doing my own version when I was doing figurative art and, and, sort of studying art history. And I thought, well, I'm going to paint my own versions. So those, when I got out of school, did really well and sold. And I wasn't about to explore the, the subject much further, but like it helped start my career and like was like, wow, you know, like he, I think the, the, I did a crucifixion in school and the guy, it was like eight feet, but the guy sold it for like 10 grand. And I was like, what? Like that is insane right out of school. But, you know, and that, so that was kind of the start of it. And, and, uh, and it just, it just started rolling. Did it make you feel like it was possible to have that career? Like oh, rather absolutely. than illustration or rather than graphic design or any of these things that really talented people out of art school go into, you're like, oh, I can actually, you know, I can yeah. see myself with this. <laughs> well, and also all our illustration teachers were constantly telling us illustration's dead. So like, you know, what are you supposed to think? They were, they were at that point, they were like illustrations dead, you know, and it's like the best thing you could get was like a cover to time magazine, which might not be now. I think even now it's not, maybe it doesn't pay like it used to, but like, but like all the spot illustrations and stuff, you know, it just seemed like I didn't even like consider illustration anymore. I kind of like, 
was like, I want to paint, you know, I want to. And this, this was the late nineties. You were selling like that, like that. No, so I was like, I, I got out in 2002 and that's when I started showing. Yeah. Okay. So I started in late nineties at school and then I, I did a little bit of showing when I was in school, but I was sort of also like in the, doing some of that lowbrow thing that California was doing, you know, the pop surrealism. And I was sort of interested in that because of the teachers I had who were like famous in that scene and doing really cool, you know, almost like folk art, naive kind of looks to it, you know, mm-hmm. that's that stuff, which I like a lot. I liked it. You know, I, I didn't really have a specific voice, so I just tried a bunch of things. But then once I did the oil painting, I was really kind of focused on figurative realism. Like it just became the thing, you know? Well, I think that's what I, even what I'm getting to, like your paintings that do have, have like tattoos or something in it. Like there's a lot of those galleries that like Lip King would show at that wouldn't have a painting with tattoos in it. You know, it's like, right. even, I don't think people realize how stuffy like academic realism can get with those rules. You know? Yeah, the place I was showing was like, so I had that, there's a painting I, that, I'm super in the dark right now, but the, um, there's a painting the, of this girl Chantal with the orange ribbons in her hair that was in the BP portrait show, like in 2005, I had, it was on the cover of the catalog. And people have been asking me for that painting for years and years and years and have offered, I had a $50,000 offer on it. It was an eight by 10 painting. Um, I won't sell it, but like back then it was in the gallery for like two grand, you know, it was like mm. tons of people. It was like, Ooh, it's tattoos and weird. And, like, fuck. and now people, you know, are like really want it. It's like, I know. Yeah, but so, and I think like it, there wasn't a lot of like that type of stuff in figurative art then either. You know, I don't want to like claim to be some sort of pioneer, but like I was just painting, I was into tattoos. I had a lot of tattoos and all my friends were tattooed. So I was just painting my friends because it felt like if I'm going to do these types of paintings, like why not paint the people I know best? And like just, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have to be, they weren't deep subject matter. You know, it wasn't like about content it was more of like i love painting portraits and i think my friends are cool and interesting and they mean something to me so why not paint them and that's all i was doing and it was like people were like oh so edgy and traditional and like i don't is it i guess i mean it's just make, it's just what it's me it's just like what makes sense it's now you know i'm not in school we'd have to like put you know the guy would be wearing the the old helmet you know i was so tired of like the old costumes and everything too. It was just like, right. now I like it, but like, and we were doing it because it was illustration. It was like, you're doing a different type of storytelling, but I got tired of like, I was like, why do we need to do this, this type of traditional stale look all the time? Like, I don't want these paintings to look like they were painted 500 years ago necessarily. Or Right. Right. And I just want them to mean something to me. That's what it was. Like I, they have to be like, it's like my, it was my diary, my personal diary in a way just documenting my own life. And it didn't seem like I was trying to be edgy or different. It was like just natural. Um, But then at some point I became the tattooed chick painter. You know, I was like, I I don't want to be that. I'm like, wait, don't say that. Like people were starting to say that. Like I got showed it. And so I moved on to another gallery that was more contemporary and dealt with um, their Mendenhall. They were Mendenhall back in the, late nineties when I was in school. And that's where like Mark Ryden had his first major meet show, like solo show, the biggest, like when he became like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and these guys were good. Like they, they were just like the kind of East coast. It was like when there was no Arcadia, there was Eleanor Ettinger, I think. And then there was Mendenhall on the West coast and they had like Steve Houston, both were showing like Steve Houston and Lipke, Malcolm Lipke back or Skip Lipke, whichever one he was at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, 
they picked me up because of one of my teachers and because of that specific painting I was talking about. And it was great. And they fucking sold like 90% of what I gave them. Stuff was just booming back then. They, 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 my prices went up like 400%. Like those, the ones that were like 10,000 at the other gallery, they started going up to like 40,000 and they were selling stuff. And I'm just like, you know, things were good and, and it was cool. And they were kind of like more contemporary. They showed had a lot of range in their gallery, which I really liked, you know, I didn't, and, and it was, it was so easy and perfect and it was great. And like, they helped my career. They would, they'd even back then, like get me full page ads in art in America, which I know were like $10,000 at the time. Like, this is a good relationship. You know, these people like make money, but they put money back into me, like, which is cool. And they helped mm. me a lot. So that was, and that was at the time was Mendenhall Sobieski. They had a partner, Sobieski, who, sort of had the money and um it was cool you know um eventually they closed down and i kind of had to move on but like it was great in the beginning to, to have them and, and sort of help me get to a certain so, point so it did, did your career's like really booming and i have a question because i i was in school in 08 when like the the crash Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of changes in like the the realist market that I sort of was looking at before school, and then came out, and it looked like it had dried up significantly. Did you did you notice that after OE? For sure, and that's I think where I I started embracing teaching. I mean, I can't even remember. It's so hard to think about like how much time has passed too. But like, yeah, slowly. I in the beginning I would teach, and then maybe take a semester off, you know, just to work on my own stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the gallery stuff's not, it was never, like, as, as good as it was, it wasn't exactly steady because it was like you've worked for a year, or, you know, you got this one little show here. And, and you know, those big numbers, you're still getting 50%. It's like, whatever. It's right. still, like, still killing you. Um, but the, uh, it definitely, there was a point where stuff crashed and it was a problem. And, and I had to, like, go back to teaching more. I had to, like... That's actually around the time I got the like I got the full time job was purely out of necessity. I'm like, you guys offered me a full time job, like, are we going to do this or what? Because it was going to double my pay, mm. same amount of work, double my pay. And if you're going to offer it to me, I need it now or I got to go because I was actually going to move. So at some point during that too, I, I had gotten married and had a child, and but well, that was like oh nine, I guess when he was born. But like, gotten married and all this stuff, and and sort of like she sort of ne- like ended up going back up to Northern California. So I was doing this like back and forth thing and, and it was really hard. You know, that's when I started doing the traveling thing, but eventually uh, I didn't work, then I, you know, eventually that didn't work out uh, the, the marriage, but like, yeah, I would say at that time I'm like, I need a full-time job or I need more stability. So I would just teach, I was teaching like six places a week at one point. So Art Center would give me like two days of work. I would do maybe one day I'd have like 11 hours and then the other day I'd, or I'd have to work or maybe sometimes I'd work till seven at Art Center and then have to teach at 7.30 to 10.30 at another school. So I'd have to hustle over there, clean my palette, set it up, do another demo till 10.30 at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was teaching at Otis, which is another college out here. I was teaching at Disney during that time. I was teaching at Lafa and Art Center. So I was just like, and then this place called Three Kicks. And so I was just like every day. So, and I was also at some point in private classes. So I'm just like bumping around like every day teaching something and trying to do my shows on the side, you yeah. know, so I could make, make the big money with the show and, and make steady money with the teaching. And, but teaching, I've met so many collectors through teaching, which has been great. You know, I've met all kinds of people through teaching. And so at some point I embraced teaching a lot. 
Is, is Art Center just John Brosio teach there? No, I've been trying to get him a, a job there. He's great. He's, he, I actually am mentoring somebody through Laguna College, and he works there. So we actually had to do Laguna? some of these. Yeah, we did a couple of Zoom meetings for the Laguna, the Laguna kind of uh, master's program. He's great. I tried to get him a job there and I kept telling, he substituted for me once when I had to go teach in Spain and he was like, great. People loved him. You know, he's just a good teacher. I love his work. He's excellent. Like, yeah. He's just yeah. a good, cool dude. And like, I don't know. He's just like, he's like, he's one of those guys too. You didn't know where couldn't, can't tell where his painting school comes yeah. from either. Like what <laughs> is it? Exactly. And they're awesome in person. Like, but he's just, yeah, I've, I've been to a studio. He's a great guy. Like right, I, cool. I live, I live in New York, but when I go to LA, I'm like check in with him. He's awesome. Awesome, nice. Um, yeah, he's cool. Do you feel like because you were saying you you're not painting as much, and that's interesting to me. And like, do do you think the teaching? Because I'm like you at that point. I'm teaching all over the place all day. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. certainly before pandemic. Now it's online, but it was just like on the train, moving to all the different schools. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel like that saps your strength for painting? Well, totally. Yeah. The, the one thing that's cool is like when I was teaching that much, I was like on, you know, you're like, you're, you're on, you're on all the time because it's like, I would start every class with a demo. So like if I'm doing a semester class, like first week demo, I might show you charcoal drawing and talk about values. Next week I'll do, uh, uh, you know, like a monochrome demo. Then we'll do like a limited palette demo. Then we'll do a full color demo. Then we'll do a portrait demo. And every week I'm like, here's how we do this. Then we'll do a landscape demo and then we'll do a still life demo. And I'm showing this like, and then I got two of those classes a day. So it's like, I might do two demos for the class and then two more for the next class. Definitely don't want to paint at night, but if I have to, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. You know, like I can do yeah. it quickly. It gets, to, it got to the point where like I could do a portrait demo for a class, like a f almost life-size portrait demo in two 20 minute poses, because it's just like purely knocking it out efficient like here's how you draw it without making mistakes and measuring and here's how you put in set up your values so you can just hit this like one thing at a time and do it did you kind of mm. think you were at the top of your powers like doing that because just just because your hand gets so good just from doing something you know, sure. doing something over and over again for sure it became the thing because it was the thing i did the most i almost got to the point where like i was more comfortable doing an a la prima painting with a crowd than I was alone. Mm. Like, like talking about it and like having questions. Like I don't, it doesn't bother me. Like we can chat and talk and I'll paint it fast. I don't care. And I'll tell you exactly every little thing I'm doing. Like I would, I explain why I use that color, why I did that with my brush or why, you know, why I didn't like something. But like, because of the practice of doing the demo, like I've, I've done that more now than I've not done a demo. Like I haven't painted, like that's the one, like I haven't painted an oil painting, not for a crowd in a long time. That wasn't just a, maybe, maybe a commission, but like an oil, a painting from life. I haven't done one, not for a crowd in years. I don't even know the last time I, I did one that wasn't for like a, a crowd. And I'd still do a lot. I've got thousands of paintings in my studio. Like it's too many paintings. Wow. Stacks wow. and stacks. I have a, a technical question because you were, I, I saw something uh, online about the way that you teach and it seemed kind of interesting to me it might not be correct because i don't know if it came from you but it like had this interesting idea of like stacking values and into three blocks and mm -hmm. then say like if the the mid-tone is in that block is the light in the block above it is that is it is that right 
It sort of looks like that, but the idea with that palette, I learned it from this guy, Mike Husser, who was one of my teachers over there. He, uh, it was, it was mostly about just organization. And that's what I mostly took from it was like to have a plan and to organize and not just to like, you know, make a bunch of messes and make another mess up here. People can do that, but I think it was really helpful to like have a system. So we do, he was really into like mixing your darkest dark, you know, we made our own black. It was, that was a big thing. So that's one of the little piles. But the main piles are really a shadow and a light. And the, the idea is that they are never the same. Nothing in the shadow is the same as the light ever. So like keeping them separate on the palette and we just do little versions of your shadows and little versions of your light, but we always keep these darker and these lighter um, helps. And that's sort of what that is. So there's parts where maybe little things look like they might cross over, like the value of a reflected light in the shadow might be close to a dark light half tone or something. But the idea was to keep them separated all the time so that you have organization on your painting. We used a very strong studio lights that were like definitive light and shadow. And I love that. So it was always about that. Yeah. I love that too. Do you still love painting? Like, I mean, you said you don't do it much, but is it because lack of a lack of time or, or did it become associated with the thing you do for work? So now you're looking to do other things for fun. I think it's the association with work and money. It's like my jobby became my hobby kind of thing, you know, or my hobby became my jobby. And so like, I've like, I still look at, look at painting every day, you know, like the, the, when I'm like scrolling Instagram, I love looking at painting. I love looking at engraving. I love looking at knife making, you know, all the things I'm interested, I'm still totally looking at. Um, I don't feel this desire to paint so much right now. Like I have a, a portrait commission sitting over there that I need to just, I drew it out. I just need to paint it, but I'm like, you know, it's like, it's going to be like when I need the money that I'm going to do it probably. <laughs> um, but I don't want it to be, you know, I just want to like, I want to like, I've been trying to like get back to kind of just my enjoyment of painting and doing it for myself. And, and I've been playing with a uh, digital painting a lot and I actually just came out with a new video on it because that to me has been more fun. I think, I think that has been enjoyable. It's still mark making. It's just a new medium. That's a little bit of a struggle, which I like, you know, that's kind of fun to me. And I kind of got tired of just like squeezing out paint and cleaning brushes and, you know, like over and over and I think when I was like full-time teaching, I was able to have TAs do stuff like that for me. <laughs> like, oh, this is nice. This is really great. Thanks. Um, so like, you know, sometimes that stuff holds me back and like digital, I can just, it's great. Open it and do a couple marks. If I don't like it, I can close it, you know, but like, um, I started painting with my son a little bit more just because like he wants to do oil painting and that's fun. You know, it's like, I'm just like trying to make it fun again for myself because I know I like it and I, I enjoy it and, but like mostly painting for money is not fun. It's not, it's not enjoyable. Like I had to do um, a couple big oil painting commissions recently and I really liked how they turned out, but there was just a couple moments during them where it's just like, I felt like I was pulling teeth when I shouldn't have, you know, it's just like, it should be fun. And it's, 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 kind of easy. I don't want to say it's easy. It's just a thing that I practice the most, you know? I don't know. I mean, should, should it be fun? Like, so part of the reason this podcast is called Art Grind is that not all of painting is fun. Like some of it is fun and some of it I still, you know, love just as much as like that first time of like, yeah. you know, when, when I picked up a brush at 18, but some of it is kind of a grind and you just do it anyway, almost no matter, no, no matter what, like, like I never have 
I have moments when I'm inspired and moments when I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you just sort of do it anyway. And you kind of get through the part that, you know, you get through the non-fun part. And at some point you kind of find the thing that you love again. Yeah. 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 I think so. I mean, I think, I think that's important if you ever want to get good at it and, and you ever, and, or if you ever want to like have a career at it, you have to like be, able to put your head down and like grind through it like that's part of it and that's that's something i think is missing a lot in just modern craft and skill building is that people don't remember that so much and i've been talking about this here and there in different podcasts um, because people are asking like i get i just get questions a lot like seriously like fail like a million times and then come back and ask me that question like you haven't even started you know like when you're and i think like getting learning to like kind of power through the the hard parts and keep, keep it up and do it anyway, you know, like do it bad, do it wrong, because that's going to help you kind of get to the other side. Um, I think that's important. And I think like, um, it's nice to have the luxury right now of like, I don't want to paint today, you know, <laughs> but, but I do want to make something. So I'll go, you know, I, I have right now, I have a knife that I has, I'm still working on the final shaping of it. So it's grinding. I have a couple engravings going. So those are at different varying stages. I've got that portrait commission going. I've got, you know, just so I can, I'm kind of just jumping around to what I feel like at the time, you know, nothing's quite oh, due just you, yet. How did you get into making knives? Sir? Um, I've always had an interest in knives. I think a lot of boys grow up that way. You know, I don't know. Um, I remember like going to the mall as a kid and like going straight to the cutlery place with my dad, you know, like it was just sort of always having little knives or whatever. Um, but one year I, and then I studied like Japanese swords a bit, like I really loved their art form with that and just kind of through books was studying. And, um, my father, because he was a he was a jeweler, he um he had a friend too who was like an older Japanese jeweler who collected swords, and he he at some point he bought some art from me and and had given me a sword when I was younger too. So like I have this piece, you know, it's like a very special piece that I keep locked away, and so I just had the interest. But then at some point I was uh, in Sweden, um, and visited a knife maker just through like is my ex's like family stuff so we just happened to visit this knife maker and it kind of sparked the interest again um it was a friend of the family and so that's why um we went to go check it out and maybe buy something for people back home but i was just like oh man i forgot like it's cool because he showed us like this little forge and stuff like it just didn't seem like you needed that many tools i'm like so i started looking it up online and i found blacksmithing class in la and i just started obsessing about it like the fact that I had access to it. So I went and took a blacksmithing class just really close to here. And it was so fun, like to be a student of something because I hadn't, you know, it's been like just doing the teaching forever. And so like having uh, like, it was hard, but it was so fun, great teacher. Um, and then I just kind of became fast friends with him too, because found out that I had taught his mom years before and everything, you know, some painting and he was just, and he was doing blacksmithing. And he, yeah, and I just like got obsessed and like, that's, that's where it just took off. And like, I really got obsessed and um, learned through him how to like hammer out my first knife, um, taking like a railroad spike because they can get like high carbon railroad spikes. And so you can transfer, transform the steel into hardened steel. So like just hammering those into a knife shape and twisting it for the handle and stuff. So just got into it and I really got into it. I don't know. It just got really, really into it. And so I have my, my whole former painting studio out back. So we have a, we live in a one bedroom apartment here and have a, I have two studio spaces out back. And the one that was my painting studio now is like full shop. It's got like 
It's got a lot of gear in there. I mean, I got a forge and an anvil, and this is like in the middle of a city in an apartment building. There's somebody that lives above it. Wow. Does it, you have like a torches and stuff? I have a forge. I, I mean, yeah, I have some torches, but I have like a forge that, for, that you stick to steel in that gets up to like 2,500 degrees if I want it to. And then wow. an anvil, and I've got grinders, and you know, I've got my whole jewelry bench now out there, and my drill press, bandsaw. I just got a new lathe. For, for doing the chess pieces because I got that commission coming up. That's so funny. When I was a kid, uh, 15 to probably 22, I was a, like it, it, I assume like the type of jewelry your dad was doing, mm-hmm. like casting rings, setting stones, sizing, all that. It's just like it was my friend's dad was a, a goldsmith and like hired yeah, me basically for my like after that. school job. It really, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, that's super cool. fun. Yeah, I, just, I wish I would have like gotten into it, you know, it's just like so foreign to me. And maybe it's just because it was my dad's thing, you know, but like I would have loved to get in more because now I'm like buying like little bits of gold and stuff to do like inlays and like engraving and stuff. It's just like, man, it would have been cool to be around it just a little more because I mean, I could have had the shop. I could have had all the tools. but Yeah, but you know yeah. what? If, if you were forced into it, you wouldn't have wanted to do it. No, like, no like it would have been. It was like, if your dad was like, you have to continue in the family business, uh, I feel right. like you would have been completely. Oh, I would have hated not. it. Yeah. Like you, you, you have to find your way to it yourself or else, yeah. uh, or else it doesn't feel like a choice. And I think as humans, we, you know, we just want to be making choices. So. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't have done it. It was just, it was just there's no way, other way it would have happened. And so it, I'm fine with it. You know, I'm glad he's still alive. And so I can like show him stuff and, you know, talk to him about different types of tools that might be useful because a lot of what I do with now with knife making and even like some of the engraving is making tools to make these tools. So you're constantly making new things just to get the job done. And like, he's really into that. You know, it's always, he's got all these kind of ideas about doing different ways of like making things and like so it's been cool so up until recently i guess your life was you know was, you, you were you were teaching you were traveling a lot like i know mm-hmm. that you did all of these work I, I i've actually met people in some of the workshops i've taken and you know we talk and so like i've met people who said that your workshop was basically the best thing that ever happened to their paintings oh. i know that you're incredibly good at teaching i think it's just like doing anything you know i've done it long enough where i want I hate bad feedback and I want it to be good. You know, I care if I'm going to do it, like I, I do, you know, I, I really care about it and I want people to grow. Really, really, really good. But so were you traveling? It was, was it all over the U S or all over the world? What was kind of, what was that like? So mostly I had started doing workshops in LA just cause I was offered them and I stopped teaching at that school. So they gave me the LA workshops and then I started branching out like Arizona, like the Scottsdale artist school places I could drive, then Northern California, like the Bay Area Classical Artist Atelier and a couple places up there. And then at some point, my buddy David Simon asked, he was starting that Rome, Rome workshop thing and asked if I would be down. I'm like, yeah, of course, why not? Sounds cool. And so that sort of started my bigger travels. And so Italy's the main one and I do two classes with him. So it's like a month and a half of being in Rome every summer, which has been amazing because now I've been like probably, you know, six months of time I've spent in, in Rome now, which is great. Just over, over the, I think I went six times now um, for that. And then this was going to be my seventh year or last year. And then, and then I got asked to teach in Spain too. Menorca. Those guys are great. I love going there. And I've been doing that. I've gone there a couple of times, but then mostly like us, but like, sort of western side still like i've never gone to new york to teach i've gone to 
um, Chattanooga a few times for the Townsend. I like them a lot. And uh, we were supposed to go to Nashville this year. Um, yeah, so that's kind of that. But I was also doing, so I was full-time until 2018, the end of 2018. And my plan was to, to get rid of the full-time job so I could have more flexibility to move so that I can get closer to where my son lives or at least move somewhere to just to see him, you know, so I don't have to like drive six and a half hours every time or fly. Because he's and in San Francisco. Yeah, he's near San Francisco, like in the, in, it's like south of San Francisco. Uh, and my parents live in San Francisco. So I get to drive up, pick them up and crash out at my folks' house and see them or whatever, you know, so that's cool. But I, but I don't need to be in the middle of LA anymore right now, especially in an apartment. And that's the thing with pandemic and everyone being home is everyone being home. I liked it when no one was, when we were the only ones home, not when, <laughs> like, so the, the person that lives above where I like to do where my shop is, she's a librarian too. I'm like, why does the librarian have to live above the loudest part of my, my, and then above where we live right up here is like the musician. I'm like, can we just like swap them so I can make noise where the musicians are? And like, uh, that's hilarious. Kind of annoying, but. Um, you know, I, I have never felt as bad for anybody as I have for my immediate downstairs neighbor over the last year. Oh eight God. Years. Yeah. I have like a toddler and a five-year-old and especially the first few months of quarantine, you know, playgrounds are closed. You can't take them anywhere. Oh, yeah. And they were just home all day long. And she kept leaving me these typewritten notes. Mm. Uh, my upstairs neighbor leaves me handwritten notes because she's bothered by um, the smell of, of, of my cooking. But the, uh, and, and, and that I felt like was unreasonable. That I was like, oh, just, just open the window. Yeah, the upstairs one would, would, would leave me these notes that would be these very detailed suggestions of what I could do to keep them quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, like, 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 can you please try to keep them contained to one room instead of like, letting them roam the apartment. And I was like, are you kidding me? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they're stuck inside all day. Like I'm, I don't know. I'm a single parent and have a full-time job. And like, you know, they, they need, they can't do anything that's fun for them. They're going right. to, of course they're going to run, run around, you know, however much they want. But it like, uh, like at some point I wanted to just give her like, like get her the most expensive noise canceling headphones I could find. It's like, right. I, can't yeah. my, I can't keep my kids quiet, but maybe this will help. Yeah. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Of, and maybe a bottle of whiskey, but she didn't seem like someone who would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Right. She might get angry if she drinks it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she might poison us, which I'm, I'm sure has crossed her mind, you know, being yeah. more than the, oh, I, but yeah, like you feel bad for people, but then it's like, what, what can you do? Like none of us, right. planned, none of us planned on this. So. Yeah. So I try to tell her, like, I'm like, I gotta work on this knife or, you know, it's going to be a little loud. Like, just let me know if you have a meeting or something, you know, but I, I'm not going to forge. I'm trying to be respectful. But yeah, with the guys upstairs, they're professional musicians. And the guy right at directly above our living room, he plays like, like, uh, horn it's like, <laughs> like running scales all day you know like or he has a tube he's got a tube up there it's like, bah, bah. It's like and it's like our ceiling so it's very like sometimes it can be really loud like it's hard just to like be, like i like to tell i, I want to tell him like literally you could not be your own neighbor like you could like if you lived here you'd be making too much noise for yourself to record those that music like it's, hel- it's hilarious to because it's all it's all very cartoony you have the tuba you have the library. It's all these very archetypes. It is. It's so weird. Like, why do I have this going on? But everybody's very cool and nice with each other. Like, so it's, it's, it's good. Like, 
it's a nice little community in our building. Basically, you went from, you know, kind of like you're in LA, that's one of the kind of places where COVID has been really dramatic. Not mm. that it hasn't been dramatic everywhere else. Uh, before, you know, before the lockdown, you were, tra- you know, you were spending a month and a half in Italy, you were traveling all over the US, uh, painting, making knives. So kind of, what's your life like right now? And how did things change? Other than been, the fact that you can't go to Italy, obviously, or Spain. Yeah, or the fact right. that I don't, like, I don't, ha- I'm not at the airport all the time. Like, my, my girlfriend, Kate, doesn't have to drive. Like, we were driving somewhere the other day, and we're like, God, oh, we haven't driven here in a while. But she's, it used to take, like, it's like a, if there's no traffic, it's like under 20 minutes. But it used to take her an hour and a half to pick me up sometimes, an hour. Just, it's just like this terrible thing. We're like, wow, this is that same drive, but like, there's nobody here. And don't miss not going to the airport. So, I mean, I'm still driving to see my son, which is cool. I get, you know, I just go pick him up instead. It's a long drive, but like, it's very different for me. Like I, I was literally living out of a suitcase and I would just, I'd never unpack my suitcase. I would just kind of rotate my laundry in and out of it. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I'm not totally like settled. I feel like, I feel like I'm not comfortable with it yet. Like I kind of can't sleep and I, and I kind of feel like there's things to do or ha- I have to be doing, but there's a lot less I have to be doing. Um, to actually talk about not being able to sleep, what keeps you up at night? I think because I have a million projects going on, it must be that, you know, like I think that's only, it. I, I was thinking maybe it was like too much coffee. So I cut out coffee and that didn't help. So I'm back to coffee. Um, <laughs> I think it is just, you know, at this at the, at the, I'm not like super old, but I'm not young anymore. And I'm starting to like feel this like time thing a little bit. Maybe as I see my son getting older, um, I don't know. Like I just like in the middle of the night, I, when I wake up, I go on and look at like engraving and stuff like that. So I think that's just the problem is that I have too many things on my plate right now and not enough time to do them. And the other thing is like, with all these projects I have, my son comes because I don't get to see him a lot. When he comes for like the two to three weeks, I don't work like I do when he's not here. It's just impossible. As you, as you know, you know, it's like, so I have like all this built up like projects I got going on. And then when he leaves, I'm like, boom, in the studio every day, like just knocking stuff out as much as I can. It's funny. My, my life is actually in my, whatever parenting arrangement are probably the exact opposite of yours where, where we came to some terms where I have the kids for six weeks. And now my, my ex started like, you know, like, like during the pandemic, he started taking them for two weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it's been kind of amazing because now he takes them and for two weeks, I'm like, I can be a painter. I can, right, yeah. you know, like, I can sleep as much as I want to. I can have a cup of coffee without fulfilling like, you know, 20 20 different demands at the same time. So I think I actually end up getting hyperproductive whenever they go away. Total opposite. But mine, so mine was like legally, I was going to only be allowed every other weekend only because of whatever sort of shit it benefited her with, you know? And so I agreed to it. It's fine. Whatever I can deal. But now I'm just getting to have them for three weeks, two, three weeks, four weeks, which is great for me because I'm not even really supposed to be, not for anything I've done, but just purely for custody and the, and the living situation. But we weren't expecting for him to not have to be in school. So it's nice. I'm glad I, you know, I get the time. Like I really enjoy it a lot. And I, now I'm trying to figure it out where like, cause he's older where I can maybe go out to the studio for an hour while he's in class, you know, it's fine. So I've started to do that when he's here, do a little bit of work and he's totally cool. Or also like after class, he's like, go ahead and work. I'm just going to chill. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go. 
and work a little bit and then he'll hang out with Kate and stuff and they'll make maybe draw or sculpt or something and it's cool. So you have so many interests, like what would your ideal life look like? Would it involve teaching? Would it involve more painting, less painting, knife making? What would that look like for you? So I like teaching a lot, um, but I'm definitely not like a people person. <laughs> I'm not like a, I'm not necessarily like an extroverted person, but through teaching for so long, I've become more comfortable with it. So like, I'm really not, I'm not really missing teaching right now. Like I, I don't want to, you know, make all my students feel like I don't miss them, but like, I'm just not, I'm not, you know, really like I've done so much of it. Like it's nice to be, do whatever I feel like I had at some point said, you know, I wish I could just make knives every day, but I don't want to get paid for it because I don't want it to turn into something I hate. Because I see these, I know guys that are making beautiful, beautiful knives and like they are definitely expensive for knives, but they're not nearly as expensive as some of the paintings I sell. And I know how much the paintings, how much work goes into the paintings relative to how much work goes into the knives. And so like, I just know, I physically cannot make knives for a living because I cannot pay my bills. I have a lot of bills. I've somehow set up too many bills. So ideally it'd be nice to, to just make knives every day and do and engrave and, and because that's where I'm really like focused, but like, um, I don't want that to be my money maker. So it's kind of a weird, weird situation. Um, do you think you're going to stay in LA? I'm trying right now to get out of LA. I've been here 21 year, 22 years or something. And, um, I didn't want to come here. I think a lot of people, especially in Northern California have this kind of idea of LA being something that it maybe is. And maybe it isn't. I fell in love with it though. Like the core of my whole life and friends is here now, you know, it's like the people I went to school with and I studied with and kind of grew up with, you know? And so like, but we're all growing up and, you know, everybody's married and and moving away or moving a little further away. So we're actually looking to move up to Northern California, maybe even up to like Nevada, Reno area, possibly, because it's like uh, half the distance drive of right now, and it's much cheaper, and we want more space. I want more space. I need like a house. I need something separate from other people. I need a shop. I need a big shop, and I need a bedroom for my son. Like we're in a one bedroom, and he gets to have the whole living room, and we just stay in the back or whatever, but I'd like him to have his own room and stuff, too. Do you think like your presence online and stuff helps you to move out somewhere like that where you don't necessarily have to be attached to certain schools and stuff like that? It does now. Yeah. I mean, I kind of was, I had a hard time like move, wanting to move away from LA before because it I was so connected here, but yeah, now I'm not really, I quit the art center job so I could have the freedom to move. And then I, now I've been here another two years since or over two years. Um, but yeah, I think, now I'm realizing I don't need, there's nothing, there's a few people in LA, you know, like, cause I do, I have dealt with like celebrities here, you know, that have, because that's just the nature of being here. Um, and they've definitely helped me a lot. And, and some of that has been due to being in LA. Um, but these are people that I know and I, I would travel. So some things that I've Oh, is that like the, uh, hang on one second, the, the, uh, the tool commissions? I saw those. <laughs> yeah, no, so I, yeah, I, I wanted to ask about that too. So yeah, yeah, we could definitely, no, it's not, not because of them, but, but definitely they, like, they've been awesome to me. Tool's been great to me. Like that was just like, so that was just the job. I know, I know Adam, the guitar player. Um, he's, he's a 
big art collector, great collection, and he's collected from me in the past. So he called me one day to see if I could do this job. We were on our way to Texas to teach a workshop, I think, and and do some stuff. So he called me on my way out there and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And he's like, okay, it's due next week. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I did those four portraits in three days, which is perfect because I was tuned up, you know, I was like, I could do two in a day, no problem. It's oh, great. It was tiring, but like I could do it, you know, I was trained, trained to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they've been good, you know, to the, then, then I did a poster for the, for one of the shows for their tour, which is cool because they gave all the artists like stacks of signed ones and they're selling for a lot online. So basically it's like this kind of little thing I have that I can sell when I want, you know, there's people just waiting to buy them and they're worth a certain amount. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. And so like, they've been good and, and, and they, and, um, Adam's um, wife, Corinne, I went to school with. So it's part of our like core of people that we went, did illustration with too. So they've been just buying other studies from me and things too, which has been really cool. Um, But, you know, I mean, I also have, like, I used to teach some people, like I I, I was teaching like um, Michelle Pfeiffer and Kate Capshaw for many years or for just a long time. Like they're just great painters and, and love it and have studied with tons of people and, decided they wanted me to mentor them. So I I was doing that two, three to four days a week, um, alternating between doing it in LA at one of their houses and then at Northern, in Northern California at another house so that I could be visiting my son too at the time. So that was sort of part of, part of that for a long time. And like, uh, that was really amazing, you know, to be taken so well care of. That's great. That's and just, awesome. Yeah, just teaching people. So teaching, like, at, at that point, I had a full-time job, which was great. You know, salary benefits for 15 hours a week, very low commitment. They let me go to Italy during that semester and would still pay me. And so, like, I was, it was fine, you know. Like, I was like, teaching's cool. I, got, I get to go to Italy. I get to go to these people's houses and, and get, you know, hang out with them and, and teach them and meet all these crazy people and, you know, get treated, like, with private chefs and stuff. And... I get to, you know, have this full-time job with salary that's, like, pretty low commitment, you know? Like, it was cool. It was great. But then at some point, I'm like, I don't know. It's, like, just teaching, teaching, teaching. Do you, do you think, um, I mean, so I, um, I I left New York after 15 years of living there, and mm-hmm. I sort of felt the way maybe that you do right now, where I was like, oh, my God, like, that's all, all of my friends that I formed as an adult are all here and the kind of the core of my existence and all of my work had been there for so long. And really it ended up being kind of a much easier trend. I mean, I mean, partially part of the reason it was maybe an easier transition is because I I moved and then a few months later, everything shut down for COVID and everyone's ended up online all the time anyway. So it's not like my friends in New York were doing these things that I, I was missing out on, but I feel like with the ability to even, you know, like record a podcast this way, um, um, and it's not as much fun as being, you know, like, like like being online is not as much fun as being in real life. But I wonder if you could just maintain all of your professional connections because everyone is just online so much. Anyway. Right? Yeah, everyone's totally connected that way. Anyway, you're talking about uh, Kate Capshaw because she was in for a short time in a class that I was in at the Art Students League with Michael Grimaldi for a while. Yeah, yeah, they both studied with him a bunch, and then yeah, he told he told Michelle, find the person you want to paint like and study with them, and that's what she told. That's why she came to me. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because of Grimaldi. I never met him though. He's uh, he's one of my really good friends. Yeah, I've heard good things from other people, but I never never got to meet him. He's great. But yeah, you guys, you guys are good along. They definitely like 
are dedicated and, and Kate's really dedicated to painting. She's done amazing stuff with it. Like I'm really proud of what she's, how she's really stuck it out. So we still keep in touch and I'll go check it out sometimes or work or whatever, if, if need be. That's great. Uh, so uh, I have some, are you, do you feel up for some bonus questions? Yeah, I'm down for anything. Just like sort of shotgun uh, bonus questions. They don't have yeah. to be long answers. Uh, what makes a good artist? Ooh, that's being true to your art, I think. Being true to I your think, art. I think that's most important. Like, that's, I, like we were talking about that, um, just people studying maybe. And I think like that part about failing and, and doing it. Not, yeah, I think too many people nowadays do art or crafts or anything that we see on the internet purely for likes and purely for, um, to feel good from other people. But I think people like a, a lot of the people who got into things like this before social media did it just cause they love it. And that's like one thing to like always remember, I think. And that's mm -hmm. where, that's what I'm trying to find with my own painting is like, I have to do it for work, but like, I know I love it. So I'm trying to get the love back for it and just make it more fun for myself again. Yeah. We were sort of lucky getting in right under the wire before social media was so big, you know? Yeah. I feel, I I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, Definitely. Um, you know what, guys? I, I, so me and Marshall argue about this all the time. But um, I mean, I, I like I think social media is destroying our attention span and, and, you know, kind of a really terrible way. But that being said, I actually think I look at more good art by my contemporaries right now or people younger than me where I'm like, oh, my God, he's right. like 25 and just a total crackerjack painter. Um, I look at more good art and I'm inspired and um, I mean, a little demoralized because it feels like people are painting more than me and getting better faster. But I also just even like watching people improve uh, um, online, like, you know, you know, those like resilience projects, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I'm going to paint a portrait a day for the next, you know, thousand days. And I, I watch some of these people start out kind of like, eh, whatever. And then like, I don't know, a year in, they're really, really good because they're doing it all the time. And I feel like social media is what gives them this kind of feeling of accountability. Like mm -hmm. they feel like they have to keep doing it. And yeah. in a way, like, I feel like people improve faster um, but by doing that than they probably do by going to art school because it just makes them work harder. And I think in that yeah. way, it's great. Yeah, I think it goes both ways. I think there's um, the internet's a wonderful place for, for inspiration and learning. Like I, I use it every day for like learning all kinds of things. But I do think, like you're saying, our attention spans are getting shorter. I'm noticing things like with my son who's like you know, getting into skateboarding. Like he's watching professionals do amazing tricks and he's not watching professionals fail at these tricks for like hundreds of tries or days, you know, he's just, and so he gets down on himself thinking he'll, he'll never get it. I'm like, it's, there's that part of it that I think is a little, it's like everyone, I said this in a podcast recently, like everybody's posting their highlight reel. So everybody, so a lot, a lot of young people think that like everyone's a highlight reel and like that if they're not, they're not good enough because they're not, they can't do it that well, but it's like show the like, fail real, you know, like show the, right. show the hard work, show the injuries, show the like, like that, there's that saying like the master has failed more times than the beginner has tried or whatever. I, I love that. And I think people forget that. And I've been talking to people through social media, even older people who are like, you know, it's so hard. I just don't think I'll ever get it. It's like, but then they barely tried. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> wait, you just tried it one time. What are you talking about? <laughs> And they're like, oh, you're so good at everything you do. I'm like, you haven't, like, I have a stack of 
shit knives that will never get finished that's bigger than the knives that have gotten finished. And I've got stacks of engraving practices that are nothing and will never get shown just to get, you know, I've done one or two finished pieces. Like, and I think that's the part, like, it's great because for people who can use it, there's so much amazing information out there and you can filter out like kind of the crap or you can kind of understand that, you know, that maybe it took hard work, but. But you, but you're someone who perseveres with hard work and and does get good at what you do, and that's a certain type of person. Uh, have you ever come close to quitting? I've quit things. I mean, that's something like I think they're like like we were talking about. You know, you're saying people people might think I'm a good teacher, and it's purely because I if I'm going to do it, I want to be good at it. You know, I want results. I want, and the results from teaching aren't from me. They're from my students. You know, it's like what I have to do is kind of the same. How I present it, you know, might, might be a little different, but like the results will be like what kind of students I have coming out of it. And having done it for so many years, like I've put care into that. Like I want them to get better. Um, and same thing, like, you know, with music or whatever, like if I suck at it, like I might be discouraged and put it down or I might just, put my head down and keep going. And like, and usually that's what it is. If it's something that I like and I want it, like I obsess, I don't sleep. I I do it a lot. And it's, you know, like I've got a ton of engraving books already now, you know, it's just like, it's, it's like, it's become a full on like obsession. And so like, I think that's the way to get good at something. You know, I think, I think it's, it's the, I mean, it's one of, it's one of the ingredients to getting good is, is that kind of obsessive compulsive, behavior that I'm just used to, I think, you know, um, um and, but, and, and you have it with everything you do. Like, so you mm-hmm. had it with painting and with every, you know, and with music. And I'm assuming when you were a skateboarder, you did that compulsively as well. <laughs> yeah. I just did a lot, you know, like then definitely like when I was in school, I was in college, I was playing more guitar than I was doing schoolwork. You know, I was just doing it a lot because I'd like it. I wanted it. I'm obsessed, you know, like, um, but the other thing too, I think, you know, is practice, like knowing what to look at, knowing, like practicing good habits, all that kind of stuff's important too. You can, like, I was talking to my girlfriend Kate yesterday about engraving and I'm like, like, I've bought some amazing DVDs from people and books and man, the teachings are wonderful. Like if I had to figure this out on myself, like it would take me significantly longer. So I think knowing you know, where to find your good information is important too. Like you can, you can cut down the learning curve on anything now with the access we have to artists and craftsmen all over the world. You know, like everybody's got, like every engraver is teaching that's good, I feel like. So I just like seek out like the information and it's cutting down so much on learning. And like, that's important, you know, because you can practice bad habits all day and never get anywhere, which I was kind of doing too. Do do you feel like, um, I mean, it, like you can shorten the learning curve, but have you ever heard of like the 10,000 hour rule like that? Yeah. Um, is a, like, like I, f- I feel like. I say that all the time too. I tell yeah, people. Yeah, I, I tell people that for everything. Like, like it, it, and I'm not sure if it's a, yeah, I'm not sure where they came up with that exact number or whether the exact number is true, but I feel like. There's some that, specific book that somebody wrote. It was Mal- Malcolm Gladwell, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but I feel like it's approximately correct. Like if you don't put your 10,000 hours, hours in, then even was really good information. You're just not, you're probably yeah. as good as you want to. <laughs> but also if you put in 10,000 hours of bad information, then you're that's getting true. really bad. So there's that. I mean, that's really huge. I mean, I see, you know, it's hard to break habits if you've, if you've done them for so long. So, but yeah, yeah. with painting, I put, really in, I put in my 20,000 or more with painting. 
but yeah, definitely like the engraving. I've put in a lot of hours already just because of how I, my brain works, you know, like. Uh, so I got a few more. Okay. Uh, so this is assumed uh, you're on this podcast. So I, I believe your work is great. I think most people do. So the question is what makes your work great? I mean, I guess I, I don't, I never talk about my own work that way, but I think technically people like it, you know, like because I've worked really hard on like being proficient technically like that's just something like I, I always wanted I wanted it to look like a photo when I first started and, and then I wanted it to look like you know maybe a realistic breathing person you know later when I got into more painterly stuff but absolutely like very very invested in the skill and techniques for many years and I think that is what people are attracted to most maybe mm-hmm. oh, and, baby. Um, and then and then I think my subject matter, maybe because I was, I've always sort of been honest about myself in a way with it, or, you know, maybe more open or just painting things that I felt like I had a connection to, people can feel that. And maybe they also felt like they were maybe, I think that the tattooed thing was, was definitely like, it stood out to people a bit. And it, mm-hmm. and it wasn't, it was just because I was in that scene, that painting scene, but I was this other person, you know, I was definitely heavily involved with tattooers and, 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 and knowing a lot of people like that. And I even tattoo, like I've actually, that's another thing that I've, another hobby, side hobby that I've done actually as a job too. And I, and I just don't do it because of, it's not my favorite canvas, but like, I hate, a, I don't like a bleeding canvas. <laughs> yeah exactly it's, it's kind of weird it's not it's not it's, you know i don't i don't like cleaning up oil paint it's like worse when you're dealing with like biohazard stuff but <laughs> like, it's a huge try. barrier for me I'm yeah it's huge yeah. yeah it's and now even more so like i'm now i'm like watching cooking shows and I'm like oh my god he touched that but like <laughs> that's not <laughs> it's so true all right so this one's Funny. Uh, what do you think about Thomas Kincaid? He went to Art Center. Did he? It's, yeah, he did. He went to Art Center. Um, I had teachers who had had him as a student. He dropped out at some point, you know, and claimed to be self-taught. You know, but um, also James Gurney. Do you know that guy? Yeah, he was there with James Gurney, right? They're, they're buddies. Yeah. So he's told, yeah. like mentioned some stories about him. But um, yeah, I got to hear a little bit at Art Center. I mean, he was a good good painter actually like his plain air stuff was pretty decent and solid Mm -hmm. um but when i was in school he was a big joke you know of course i mean and so i even did like a big painting on him as a joke for a project like a real nasty painting about him (laughs) kind of (laughs) you know and i just didn't care and i even went to go see him talk at a mall as part of my research like and he was just like going off telling people oh i sold this painting for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars and then the next thing is like it's all for the children it's like you're just a (laughs) turd um i think he was pretty drunk at most of those too actually yeah (laughs) yeah and then he had done like so he also did like a little plein air um workshop at the huntington museum here and one of my good buddies jeff who's in the in our band also went went to it just to see and like man he knocked out some ala prima or like some plein air stuff that was cool Mm. so Mm. he had it but he just became you know the thing like the commercial thing i don't know if that was ever like really part of his like dream or anything but like that's that's the most successful 
artists like of our lifetime, maybe, you know, in some way. I would, ima- I would imagine of all time, I think when, before that folded, uh, I think it was worth like $4 billion or something, his empire, which yeah. is just insane. People would buy prints for like five grand for a print. I can't sell yeah. out a three hundred dollar print, you know, <laughs> fifteen years. But yeah, man, I, like those things were crazy, and I just, you know, I think it's funny. So I just did the research and, and I enjoyed kind of thinking about it. And I know he had like gotten in trouble or got kicked out of a Siegfried and Roy show for heckling them, and yeah. I think he got, kicked out of Disney World for pissing on a statue of Walt Disney. Like he sounded like a a crazy dude, more fun than he appeared. I think think he was a lot of fun from what I hear. And yeah, I do think he was a good painter. I think the story is fascinating. I actually, I'll uh, run this by you. I, I wonder if he more than anyone contributed to like, you talk about, you're teaching a lot of these little ateliers, you know, Mm-hmm. I think he, because all the kids were going seeing that stuff in malls and like, I want to learn to paint. I think he uh-huh. had a big influence on the, and a lot of the atelier people turned out to be quite religious, you know? It's like, you Very, wonder yeah. if there was a big overlap there seeing That's those crazy. Yeah, I, I never really put that together. I mean, the, the mall cutlery thing for me was definitely like going to the knife store at the mall was was influential, but the, uh, well, they were like, if you think about it, I mean, you were in San Francisco, which is a cultural place. I was in Atlanta, which is fairly cultural, but the mall was like cultural hubs for us. Right, you know? yeah, that's it, you see a lot there and you yeah. see Kincaid and you're like, I think I want to do that. You know? Yeah. I don't, I don't remember Kincaid in the mall when I was growing up. So I, I don't, I kind of like trying to remember, I don't know if I just sort of heard about him from when I first moved to LA because his old apartment was one of the Kincaid like stores too. Oh, really? Yeah, in in Old Town Pasadena. And it was like near, it was right next to the art store. So you kind of knew it was like, it was, which is now Blick, but like it was called the art store back, back then, that company, that company before Dick Blick bought them. And they, uh, but there was a Kincaid store right there. And then years, (laughs) I, years later, I heard that that was his old uh, apartment in school. That's why I was like a skinny little building and he had stayed upstairs. Oh, cool. So, so like he was definitely part of the art center landscape. Uh, this is technical. It's kind of fun. Is ultramarine blue a cool color or a warm color? I'd put that one. Kind of, well, I'd put it, it's all, to me, color is so relative that I would put it, you know, obviously cool relative to the reds, but um, relative to most of the blues, the blues on my palette, it's actually pretty neutral. So there's my middle, <laughs> there's my middle child for you. It's not warmer. <laughs> it's like, I think that one's in the middle. Cause I use like a manganese blue as my cooler green blue. And then I do have cobalt blue on there too, which I find maybe a touch more towards the red than the ultramarine. But I do find, yeah. I think when they, when they both hit the white, they're kind of similar. So I think. They're, they're yeah. Both I find they're similar too. Kind of. I, I treat my ultra because I, was trained with cobalt and manganese but i late years later added ultramarine after dabbling with that kind of special black um, umber the umber and ultramarine mix and i liked the mm. ultramarine for its darkness so i i kept the ultramarine but it is a little overkill to have like three blues on my palette so you mix black with uh like burnt sienna and ultramarine or what no so i was taught to use this like a uh, olive green from windsor newton which is basically like a black indian yellow mix of a pigment so it's a really transparent dark 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 green it looks like black when you squeeze it out on your palette and then we add alizarin to it you know for its transparency and those the green and the red kind of turn to this really rich tar black um mm. 
but I found it always warm because the olive green is as cool as it gets and it's got a lot of some sort of acid yellow in it. So it has a warmth, an undertone of warmth to it. So that black was no matter what warm. Um, so I started playing with burnt umber ultramarine for the blue and orange combo and burnt umber is just dull and dead. And I, I was used to using very transparent pigments for black so that I could get these really rich, you know, that's just sort of how I was taught transparent shadows and, and, and darks. And so I kept the ultramarine and added that to my olive and alizarin. Now it's like three colors to make blacks too much. So I, I've been doing that for years. Um, I like the range because sometimes I want it super alizarin for the creases of the eyes or whatever, or sometimes I want it really neutral black with the, and the, uh, the ultramarine helps that a lot, but, um, I'm trying to get, I'm cutting, like I had gotten, uh, gotten in with gambling as, as a, as a workshop artist. So they were sending me supplies and I, and I was used to the Winsor Newton olive green and Gamblin's is like a light green, like an olive. So I was trying to find substitutes to, to get back to a two, two color black mixture. So I was sort of like playing with their, um, their combo they use for their, their, um, chromatic black, which is some sort of Oh, it's like the em emerald thalo and quinacridone red. Yeah, yeah, some thalo quinacridone. So I was thinking, like, if I could get back to like something in between olive green, like I'm so used to olive green, been using it seriously over 20 years, but I also want to get back to simplifying it a bit. So I was thinking of trying that out, just to to have less stuff to bring to workshops again. You know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's not a huge palette, but it is like it's missing some things and maybe a little overkill on a few because of how I've changed it. Like there's no real yellow, no no bright yellows. We've got a we've got a yellow ochre and an Indian yellow. Okay. But like for anything kind of you know flesh related, I, I can get away with it. Well, ninety nine percent of my paintings, I never put a yellow out, but every once in a while, I'll grab a tube of yellow or orange or something. Right, right. Uh, what makes something timeless? I don't even know. I mean, what is that word really nowadays? I, don't, I kind of feel like sometimes it can be the technique. Sometimes it can be subject matter. I think a lot of times people use it for subject matter. When it, To me, that seems more like dated, I guess. It's not timeless because it's not, it's not relevant anymore. But I guess for me, maybe it would be something that could last over centuries of time and, and be read that way and, and maybe read well would just have to be crafted well, I, I suppose. I don't know. I, 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 I'm really big into craft and, and, and into that stuff. And I, I don't think it's always the case, but I, I'm kind of one of those people, I guess. I'm not, I'm not super into concepts and, 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 and uh, fine art and stuff like that. I'm not against it. I just, it's not me, you know? Right. Plus, I'm trained to be an illustrator and tell other people's stories, which I'm totally fine with. I like being a hired hand, too, sometimes. Right, yeah, for sure. Yeah, just give me uh, an idea. I'll make it look cool. I, I, li I like that, too. That's great. How has art affected your life? I mean, it is my life, you know? Like, it's been my, li my life forever. It's like, like I was saying earlier, I, I grew up with it. I've, uh, it's everything I do. Like, it's how I pay all my bills and everybody else's bills that I pay for. And, you know, so it's like, like I have to do it. I love to do it. It's natural for me. It's like all, it's all I do all day long. I'm making art or whether I'm going to go like after this, I'll go and grave for a little bit. Maybe I'll grind that knife to shape it, which is sculpting. You know, I got, I have to clean up some bevels. 
I'm tempted to pick up my guitar and play some songs, you know, just because I need to make some noise and, mm -hmm. uh, and then maybe I'll do a little, and I might have to do a little drawing or painting later. We'll see. So it's like, it's always, it's constant and, and it's just my life. And, and my son's doing it now too. Like he's fully a, a, a ridiculous artist at his age. Best I've seen it. Best 11 year old artist I've ever couldn't even have imagined it. I, it I'm not just saying it because he's my son. Like it's crazy the stuff he does. Like, and I, Almost to the point where, like, if I show it, I feel like people are going to say, I did it, which I definitely did not touch any of it because I'm not that way. Wow. And th this is painting? He's doing paintings? Painting. He's, he can do anything. Digital, sculpting. He can, uh, 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 like, actual sculpting. He can draw. He can do animations. He's just, like, insane. His brain is nuts. I have an oil painting over here that he did, um, just, a, like, a, when he, like, a Caravaggio copy like he just wanted to copy Caravaggio. I'm like, all right, I guess it's kind of hard to do. So he did. <laughs> so I didn't even help him. He was, he just did knock this little thing out. You know, he's like a, a, a 10 years old, you know, little trying That's to learn old oil. I'm just like, well, dude, the way it's all twisted. And, and then he left, he's like, well, the highlight looks so bright. So he just left it white canvas. I'm like, it looks so good. So I started like you, I, I, tell people never pure white and now i'm starting to like steal from my son like leaving little white canvas i'm like it looks so cool when it flicks through there <laughs> yeah so he's, uh, he's that's awesome cool. and now he's doing yeah. music so that's cool because i this is he's playing viola for school and um he can play keyboard pretty well too but now because of the guitar he's like just wants to play guitar all the time so that's cool we get to play guitar a little bit that's so fun man you got a little art buddy that's awesome yeah, it's, it's like we can, like he actually, like I've never ever made him do art. I'm like, but he makes me do it a lot. So like I've never pushed it, never forced it, hardly even encourage it. I just, if he wants to do it, we do it, but he wants to do it all the time. So it's mm. been, it's been cool. He definitely pushes me to do it more. All right. So la last one, then we're done. I, you, you sort of answered that. I get a feeling of how you're going to answer it, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, what, what makes Wait, hold on. It seriously just cut out for only the question. Oh, <laughs> I was saying uh, last one, and I feel like I, I already have a feeling how you'll answer from our, this conversation, but I'll ask it anyway. What, what makes a good painting? Ooh, gosh, that, that varies so much to me because I can't like... Because what's good to everybody is different. And so I guess it, what makes a good painting to me, because I don't think to me is the same as to what might be good to you or to really any, it shouldn't be to anybody. Um, I am always looking, like I had said, I mean, I like skill, but I like, uh, it's a, that's a tough question. Cause I don't, I, I mean, I'm definitely a, a drawn to, to like skill, but I can walk into a room in a museum. It's hard to say like, when I walk into a room in a museum, new museum, I do a quick scan. And I usually know within a half second which one I'm going to go to first. And so I guess in some way, like, if something can speak to me from that far away, I don't know what it is. It might be the drawing. It might be the values. It might be the abstract design of the piece. But, like, that to me is very important. And, and I think, like, there's definitely something to be said for, for that. But that's just one aspect to making a painting. And I, and I do try to in teaching remind people like if you can't catch their attention from across the room then you've lost you've lost the battle but if you can get somebody to 
see your painting from across the room and want to come closer and then you give them something else when they come closer like details or more colors or textures then you've kind of like covered all the grounds and, and you kind of like can uh can get people to appreciate what you're doing but um that's a i think that's an impossible question to answer because i i might like a painting that like i might like two paintings that look nothing alike and have nothing in common and for, for completely different reasons but i think for me I, i'm drawn to like skills and and design first what's that old old saying about pornography i can't i don't know i can't describe it but i know what it is when i see it type thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah it's tricky and i think t- and, and taste changes you know like i think like i've definitely gone to museums like that i went to as a kid and like i don't feel the same way about certain pieces or, or just even like going to italy every year like i start to change my mind about what i like or what i want to look at or or whatever and now, and now, so uh, like with engraving, like you know, what I thought at the beginning of the pandemic when I started engraving, I think differently now. What I look at, what I find interesting, or, or what I find good or attractive, is, is is constantly changing based on my own knowledge of of the art and 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 my own struggles with it too. I that's think. something. That's something that I I think about. I was actually talking in a class last night about this, like. The more you know something, it feels like you appreciate it in a different way and somewhat a loss there. Like, I don't, unlike you, I don't play music. So I love music like a fully, it's my favorite art form and I, it's full appreciation. Like I hear a song, it's emotional, it's all that. I don't have that connection to painting because I know it so well. It's just yeah. like it's craft. It's like, I say, I, it's like I look at it a different way and I kind of wish I could look at it like someone who never painted before, you know? Yeah, I get it. That's definitely. Like, I think I'm so far into it. I don't even think about that so much, but yeah, it's tricky. Music's weird like that too, because like, we'll, we'll just put music on, I'll grab my guitar and sometimes you start, like I'll play along and realize like, Jesus Christ, this is like, this is some really lame songwriting like but it's a good song it's a good song but really is is it really only one chord that's happening right now? <laughs> what and then like oh wait and this next song is actually the same exact thing as their last song i'm like what yeah it, it sort of takes the yeah it's like the the wizard of oz the curtain you know it's like yeah absolutely oh, but I am, but like being a sucker for craft, I enjoy kind of like knowing that too. I'm like, that's so cool. They did that song like that or whatever. And they use the same type of progression for the next thing, or they just reversed it. You know, like I enjoy like those little aha moments and, and the same with engraving, you know, like I'm trying to learn from people and seeing things it's like, oh my God, that's so cool that you just have to turn it a little bit and it does that, you know, as opposed to me trying to just try a bunch of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, Sean, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking time to talk with us about your life and work. And and I love your work. I think it's quite exquisite. Thank you very much. It's It's been fun. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you for listening and coming along with us on this long journey. I hope you got some good takeaways from this interview. I want to let you know that we have an official Art Grind podcast hotline now. So call us and let us know what sort of creative projects you have going on during these crazy times. Let us know what's on your mind and we'll play it on our next episode. The number is 929-267-4830. Again, it's 929-267-4830 at artgrindpodcast.com.
and follow us on Instagram. And if you feel like supporting us financially, you can easily hit that donate button on our website. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review on iTunes. That will really help us. We love all the support we get from our listeners and hope to do our best to bring you more great interviews for you. So be safe out there and stay on the grind.